morning. We're glad to have you with us today. Now, we've got about, well, not 21 still, but we had uh, quite a few people, most of our youth, and a lot of folks are returning today from a mission trip. They started our first, toward the first of this last week, and they will be back with us coming in pretty soon. We don't think it's going to be during worship time, so you don't have to worry about that, but we think it'll be after that sometime early afternoon. We're excited about that, and uh, we are, I'll be gone next week with our kids to Passport Kids Camp. And uh, if you're a parent of that group, you need to get your final instructions about that today or a letter that will be going in the mail, uh, at least today, if you're not here. Uh, if you're here, we'll let you have that in person. We're glad for you to do that. Notice all the other announcements that are in there. Kids Quest is back into session this Tuesday, and that means we're going fishing at Audubon. And uh, going to be going fishing as part of that time, as well as our Bible study and all the other things that we'll be doing. And uh, so if you need, if you, we do pick up about five or six in our van. If you know of others that need uh, transportation, be sure to let us know. They do need a sack lunch. Now, no money is needed this week. Uh, we have nothing to pay for in that area, so that would be great. But uh, if they'll bring a sack lunch, we have been making some here hurriedly, about 10 o'clock on those days. And if you can pass that word on to others, that will make that go in a better situation. Our pastor began a vacation, uh, I guess yesterday or today, however you want to do that. He will be back with you and be back here the next Sunday. But uh, we're glad to have Mary to be sharing with us in his absence. And we want to give you a chance to greet those who may be visiting or those you may not have seen in a while. And just tell them hello. Now, some of you, I have been told that we as churches do things that turn men off. Uh, we haven't been meeting the needs because men are not like, oh, I want to hug you. That's just not the way we feel about things sometimes. So if you want to high five somebody or touch knuckles or whatever you want to do to greet people in the name of the Lord, you can do that. Let's do that. We're glad to have uh, Nibby at the organ, and I, ooh, I feel like Crystal Cathedral. Nibby at the organ, Chica at the piano, and now this is looks sort of like the church choir, but actually it's summer choir. We are on hiatus from rehearsals, so we just sort of show up on Sunday and rehearse and put that together at the last minute. And if you would like to join us in that, show up at next Sunday at 10, 10.30 uh, and then rehearse with us because we're going to do things that we can do really quick and do that kind of a thing. And uh, so we... Do what? And you'll be able to tell it, too. And you'll be able <laughs> I don't, probably. But anyway, the main, the big deal is to worship. If you want to do that with us, we would encourage you. We're not going to be doing any of our anthems and things we've been on practicing, because we have some really neat things that are 
on back situation that we'll be doing, but we won't be doing those during July. So we can feel free if you can come with us to do that. Join me as we read responsively our call to prayer. Our creator, you are all around us and within us. We praise you with many different names. Help us to live as we understand we should, from knowing you in harmony and connectingness with each other, with all, create, with all creatures of the earth and with the earth and the universe itself. Help us to use your resources wisely so that we might be sustained. We believe that you created the world and that you will be all around us and within us forever. We are to you. Let us pray. God of the universe, it is always amazing that your grace surrounds us and lives within us. It is always amazing that when we look around and see what you have created, that you still want to be in relationship with each of us individually. It is amazing that we gather in this your house and you are here among us. Thank you for loving us, for giving us salvation, for blanketing us with your grace. 
It is truly amazing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. watching all your words well it's also gone to eastern Kentucky and the and the controller and all that so some of you that don't know this is a hymn book and uh, you'll need to have that on a couple of things uh, because you really do depend on those things and uh, that's normally a part of our worship but today you're doing good all right boys and girls brother Nebi is here is going to share with you if you want to come down here for you can be a part of that we'd like for you to do that if you need somebody to help you that is great. Uh, we'll be glad to do whatever. If you're visiting with us and want to have somebody help you to do that, that's great. Boys and girls, we got several gone today, but we'd like for you to move on down. And... Well, I have a story to tell you today. Is this two of you? No children at all today? Well, it's as much for the children as it is for the adults. It's about this little boy. Actually, he's not a little boy. He's 18 years old, and he was raised by his grandmother. Um, I don't know what the circumstances were, but he was raised by his grandmother, and his name is Mark. And Mark and his grandmother, if you can imagine, were very close. And Mark, last year, went away to college. He went to the University of Kentucky, and it was a big separation. Mark was ready to to go away to school, um, but his grandmother was really going to have a hard time 
with him leaving. So he thought that it would be a good idea if he would buy his grandmother a cell phone. His grandmother, you know, she liked her rotary dial phone that she had there in the kitchen, and that's what she used all the time. And uh, So he thought it would be a good idea for his grandmother to have a cell phone when he went away to school. So he went and got his grandmother a cell phone, and they were getting it all set up and in working order for um, Mark to go away to school. And they had agreed that every morning at 7 a.m., Mark would call his grandmother on her new cell phone. So they were setting the cell phone all up and everything, and his grandmother was so impressed with the idea of the fact that it has ringtones. You know what ringtones are on cell phones? What's some of your favorite ringtones? Music? Yeah, everybody's got different ringtones on their cell phones. Well, his grandmother was going through all the different ringtones on the cell phone, and the one that she liked was when the saints go marching in. That was his grandmother's favorite song. She loved that song. So they got it all programmed in the phone and everything. Thank you, Miss Chica. And so the first day that he was away at school at the big University of Kentucky, he called his grandmother. And the phone rang, and the phone rang, and the phone rang. And he was really, Mark was getting this big lump in his throat, like there was some problem with his grandmother and she wasn't answering the phone. Well, all of a sudden, she answers the phone with a big old cheery hello. And he was like, Grandmother, what took you so long to answer the phone? And she replied, Oh, that's my favorite song and I just wanted to listen to it. <laughs> so he was quite relieved to know that it was okay. So how many times in life do we hear somebody calling, our parents, our teachers, and we just sit and listen to them because we like the sound of their voice, and we don't react? What's that? Animals? Yeah. And, you know, we don't sometimes, we listen to our parents, they ask us to do things, or they're calling us, and we just kind of stand there, just listening to the tone. And sometimes God calls us and asks us to do things too, and we just sit and listen and listen, and we don't react. We need to do something, do what God is calling us to do. Um, you know, the last time that I talked to you, I talked about cell phones last time, and I told you to stop, listen, and love. Well, today I'm going to say, when you hear God or your parents or your teachers or somebody calling, answer and do it. Okay? Um, let's pray. Our most wonderful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning that we have. We thank you for these children of our church. And Lord, we thank you for the, all the blessings of today. And when our cell phone rings and it's you calling... Help us to do what needs to be done. And don't wait. Do it now. We pray all these things in your most wonderful and precious name. Amen. So you can go to Children's Church. And for you parents that would like to hear the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, uh, read the church email news this Thursday. And I'm going to put the rest of the story about the... Um, what I just talked about to the children up on the email news. And if you don't get the church email news every Thursday morning, you need to be sure that your email address is on the pew pads. 
and uh, look for the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, next Thursday. Our favorite hymn today was put by somebody who didn't put their name on that. We do have favorite hymns where people can put it on the box out there. Uh, a lot of times I don't pick what you want me to pick, and uh, that's just the way. We're just different sometimes. But we want to do those things which are special to do, and today victory in Jesus is the one that we've selected out of that box. We're going to do the first and the third verse. As we do for our uh, uh, favorite times, we let you remain seated. Uh, that's sort of weird in a Baptist church. But we let you remain seated as we sing that first and last verse. of my heart, Lord, and holy ground, those words are in your worship folder. Stand with us as we sing those together.
team as they serve in your name and come home safely. Bless these tithes and offerings. In your name we pray. Amen.
Scripture reading today is taken from the book of 2 Kings. That comes after 1 Kings. Chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure Naaman of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then. And I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, far better than the rivers in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned, away and went, he turned and went away in a rage. 
But his servants approached him, saying, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said was said to you was wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God and he and all his company, and he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. The word of the Lord. I love this story. (laughs) I love the way the Bible is packed full of people who are just like me. Far from perfect. Naaman was the chief military commander of the Aramean king's army, the Colin Powell of his day, and he was really good at what he did. The scriptures say he was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded and a valiant soldier. But in spite of all of his military accomplishments, Naaman had a problem he couldn't fix. He had leprosy. The Old Testament Greek for the word leprosy, lepra, signified the appearance of rough, scaly patches on the skin. It could be medically accurate to say that he had psoriasis or leucoderma or ringworm, as well as true leprosy. Whatever skin disease he had, Naaman's social calendar, as well as his life, were the same, non-existent. Leprosy made him a persona non grata. But there was this young Israelite slave girl who, after being captured by the Aramean army, was assigned to serve Naaman's wife. This Israelite girl told Mrs. Naaman that if her husband would go see the prophet in Samaria, he could cure Naaman of his leprosy. Naaman believed this girl and asked the king's permission to go to Samaria. The king, of course, wanted his chief commander back in order, barking shape as quickly as possible. So he not only granted his permission, but he wrote a letter to Jehoram, Israel's king, saying that he was sending Naaman to him so that he may cure Naaman of his leprosy. So Naaman gathered up his horses and chariots and servants and left with this letter from the king, as well as ten talents of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothes. Now that translates into 150 pounds of silver, 750 pounds of gold, and a new wardrobe. At today's market prices, and I looked this up yesterday to be accurate, the silver would be worth $30,480. The gold would be worth $7,860,000. If the political clout of a royal letter didn't work, there was always a good old-fashioned payoff. (laughs) Naaman's expectations were flying high, and he was on his way to a healing. Upon Naaman's arrival, he presented his letter to the king, uh, to Jehoram, and waited for his healing to begin. Instead, Jehoram tore his clothes. He knew he couldn't heal Naaman, and he assumed he was being provoked into a fight. His back was against the wall. 
He couldn't cure Naaman, and Naaman's army had already defeated Israel at least once. That's how Mrs. Naaman got her Israelite servant girl. Jehoram was sunk. But word had gotten to the prophet Elisha that the king had torn his clothes in grief. So Elisha sent word back to to have Naaman drop by, and he would take care of it. Elisha wanted him to know that there was a prophet in Israel as opposed to a king who thought everything was about war. So Naaman packed his wardrobe and his $7,890,480 worth of gold and silver back into the trunk of his chariot and headed for Elisha's house. Once he arrived, Naaman expected the grand ceremony to begin. Lots of ceremonial waving over the disease, lots of elaborate prayers, calling on God's name, on name, calling on God's name on Naaman's behalf. Maybe even a slang in the spirit or two before it was all over. But certainly lots of pomp and circumstance in the whole process. Nonetheless, Naaman was sure Elisha knew who he was and would treat him accordingly. What he got was not Elisha. But a message from Elisha to go down to the Jordan and wash himself seven times and he would be cured. You want me to do what? Naaman was mad. Not only did Elisha not perform all the hoopla to a person of Naaman's status, Elisha didn't even bother to get up out of his lazy board recliner and come outside himself. He, didn't, he sent a messenger. It wasn't Elisha. It was the FedEx delivery guy. To add insult to injury, he had to wash himself in the Jordan River. Couldn't he just as easily have washed himself in one of his own rivers? The Abinant River was known as the Golden River. Surely it was better than the Jordan. Besides, the Jordan River was muddy and icky. Nobody wanted to wash in a muddy river and expected to get clean, much less cured. Nope, he was not doing it. Elijah hadn't so much as come out of his house, and now he was supposed to get into some stupid inferior river and wash himself. Nope, not happening. Naaman stopped off in his five-star general hut. In their book, Smartest Guys in the Room, Bethany McLean and Peter Elkin described the rise and fall of Enron and Ken Lay. In his childhood in Tyrone, Missouri, Ken Lay grew up as a dirt-poor preacher's son. I didn't know that. Until he was 11 years old, Lay never lived in a house with indoor plumbing. Lay's parents were uneducated and seemed to face one disaster after another. However, being acutely aware of his family's circumstances, he would run newspaper routes and raise chickens and bale hay. He would spend hours on a tractor daydreaming about the world of commerce. Obviously, all that hard work and his education paid off. Through some connections that he had made in college and his early professional career, Ken Lay found himself in a position to build an empire and make a ton of money. And that he did. At one point in his rise, he was known as a great man, highly regarded. 
He spent much of his time on philanthropy. He was the go-to guy for charitable works, raising and giving away money. Ken Lay told an interview told an interviewer for a religious magazine called The Door. Everyone knows I personally have a very strict code of personal conduct that I live by. This code is based on Christian values. And yet, he began living the image the world had given him and became addicted to the trappings of corporate royalty. He began making millions and taking home a large chunk of the earnings. He and his family used the Enron fleet of corporate jets as if they were their own. On one occasion, when a secretary was trying to schedule a flight for a company executive for company business, she was told that the Lay family had reserved three of the company jets. At lunchtime, when lunch was ordered and other executives sat at their desk eating a sandwich on deli paper, Ken Lay's food was placed on fine china and served on a linen-covered silver platter. Like Ken Lay, Naaman's expectations of life were rooted in his own image of himself, his sense of his own self-importance, what he thought was due him because of who he was. By golly, he deserved to be given special treatment. He had earned it. And he was not about to do something as ridiculous and stupid as bathe in the Jordan River even once, much less seven times. But Naaman was lucky. He had some very gutsy but obviously very loyal servants who were willing to get up right in his face. They told him, look, Naaman, if Elijah had told you to do some big, elaborate, complicated thing, wouldn't you have done that? Well, then haul yourself down to the river and start washing. Unlike Ken Lay, Naaman finally listened to his employees giving him good advice. He stepped out of his all-important general's uniform and into the Jordan River. And when he did, his flesh was restored, not just, to, not just back to his before-he-got-sick regular skin, The scriptures say that his flesh was was restored to that of a young boy. Naaman was clean, cured. It was then that Naaman realized that not only had his health been restored, but his life had been given back to him as well. As a leper, he was an outcast, but cured, he could return to life as he knew it. Or could he? When Naaman put his general's uniform back on, he realized that something about it wasn't so shiny, wasn't so demanding, wasn't so status-ridden. So he took his gutsy entourage and went back to Elijah's house, this time not to bribe him for something, but to offer his wealth as gifts of thanksgiving to Elijah and the one true God, no longer just the God of Israel but now the God of Naaman. There it is. Did you see it? Naaman's conversion. When you come face to face with the one true living God, you can't help but be changed. 
once you recognize that God is and has been involved in your life, everything is different. Nothing will ever be the same. Naaman got his life back when he finally came to terms with three things. First, he had to come to terms with the sense of his own self-importance and his own self-sufficiency. He had gotten used to seeing himself in terms of the person the world had shaped. The world had molded him into some larger-than-life character who believed he was in control of everything and everyone. You would think that being a five-star general would give you that impression. When you enter a room, people stand and snap to attention. You give the word and your commands become reality. You have the power of life and death at your fingertips. It's easy to get wrapped up in your own self-importance when the whole world gives you that kind of power. But once Naaman laid aside his world-shaped image, he finally saw himself as he really was, a man with a problem he couldn't fix no matter how much power he had. Being a five-star general didn't give him the ability to cure himself of leprosy. When he finally took off his general's uniform, both literally and figuratively, he could hear what his servants were saying to him. When we come to grips with our own arrogance, we realize that we are not self-sufficient. We are just people, and we don't have the power to do it all. We really do need each other's wisdom and insight to see things clearly. And sometimes we need them to get right up in our face to make us understand. I am in awe of the strength of character those servants must have had. The young Israelite girl was a POW taken away from her family, assigned to work for the wife of the very general who had snatched her. She started this whole thing by referring her captor to the one person she knew could cure him. Did she think Naaman would reward her by giving her her freedom? We don't know. What we do know is this girl set aside whatever feelings she may have had in order for her captor, her enemy, to be cured. The other servants with Naaman took a huge risk in telling him to do what he had been instructed to do. It's always a risk to challenge your boss. But they, too, laid aside their personal feelings. If you read the lecture former President Jimmy Carter gave upon receiving the Nobel Peace Prize in 2005, you will notice that he never took personal credit for anything he accomplished. He always couched his successes in terms of we and ours. George Washington said, I hope that I shall always possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, the character of an honest man. Secondly, Naaman got his life back when he came to terms with the notion that he really was a child of the God of Israel. If Naaman was no longer who the world thought he was, then who was he? What made him special? He had always relied on his accomplishments as chief commander to prove he had value. But now what? Naaman's true worth, as well as our own, comes in being a child of God. 
And as children of God, we all have gifts to offer. The scriptures tell us that we have at least one spiritual gift. Don't sit there and tell yourself you don't have one. God didn't go to all the trouble to create you and send you into this world with nothing to contribute. Your value does not come in worldly status or possessions. It is not a matter of he who dies with the most toys wins. Your worth comes in being a beloved, gifted child of God. Once we get that, we are free to see others as they really are. Beloved, gifted children of God. When our mission team went to Atlanta a couple of years ago, I was on the team that worked with the Open Door um, Homeless Shelter in downtown Atlanta. We served breakfast some days and lunch other days. On the door of the dining room was a penciled sketch of men standing in a 1930s bread line. They were donned in tattered overcoats or jackets that were too small, hunched over trying to stay warm as they stood in line. If you look close enough, you see in the middle of that line, hardly distinguishable from the others, was Jesus. That sketch was a big smack of reality for me. I was there to do my Christian duty. I was there to feed the hungry, as the Bible had instructed me to do. What I was not prepared for until seeing this picture was to meet Jesus, to see each person who came through that door as my equal, a beloved, gifted child of God. So I began looking at each man and each woman in the face as I served them, asking myself, Are you Jesus? In that same Nobel Peace Prize lecture, President Carter said, The bond of our common humanity is stronger than the divisiveness of our fears and prejudices. God gives us the capacity for choice. We can choose to eliminate suffering. We can choose to work together for peace. I would add... Once we understand who we are and what gives each of us value. Last, when Naaman got his life back, he had to come to terms with the fact that he was not only cured, but he was healed as well. There's a difference between being cured and being healed. We can be bodily cured and not be emotionally or spiritually healed. It is when we engage with the God who is already engaged with us that we are healed. Finding healing is harder than finding a cure. We have to wrestle with our own lives, our own theology, and our own relationship with God. It's hard work. Too often we'd rather just pop a pill or blame God for not being cured. Engaging in a relationship with God brings understanding and wisdom and resolution. A wise friend once told me, it's better to limp through life with a soul that is whole than run through life with a fractured self. It is better to limp through life with a soul that is whole than run through life 
with a fractured self. Naaman realized that not only had he been cured, he had been healed. He didn't go home with just he didn't go home just cured of his leprosy. He went home whole. He didn't go home with just servants who worked for him. He went home with friends who cared about him. He didn't go home with just more time to live. He went home with life. When we engage in a relationship with God and recognize the depths of God's love for us, God's ability to heal us, God's desire to make us whole, we can't help but be converted, just like Naaman. So the next time you're tempted to say to God, you want me to do what? Remember old Naaman. As he heads for home with his new teenage skin, his general's uniform turned inside out, and his entourage walking arm in arm, laughing and celebrating him getting his life back. Amen. We are a church celebrating life. Sometimes we have to get in each other's face. And sometimes we just celebrate healing. But we do it together. And God has blessed us. If you would be interested in becoming a part of this fellowship, you are welcome and invited to do so as we stand and sing number 277. As you go from this place, may God's grace go before you. May God's mercy walk by your side. May God's courage nudge you from behind. And may peace catch up with you and follow you all the way home. In the name of our brother, Jesus the Christ. Amen.